because people want to be authentic and live their truth. Right. And if that's not, if they're in fear of their livelihood every day, you're not getting the best performance out of them. Welcome to the Voices of Inclusion podcast, the place where you'll hear strategic and tactical advice shared by diversity, equity, and inclusion experts. This podcast is brought to you by Matheson.io, the world's first DEI operating system. If you're looking for DEI assessments, benchmarking tools, sourcing support, training, and more, look no further. Go to Matheson.io. The link to connect with us is in the description. Let's get back to the episode. All right. So I am incredibly excited about this conversation. Every time I speak with you, Tracy, you have a way of imparting some incredible insights, not only about DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion for anybody that's new, uh, but also wisdom about life. Um, So (laughs) without further ado, the amazing Tracy Bradley. Tracy, could you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Okay. Well, thank you, Robert. Thank, uh, appreciate the kind words. I, I don't know if wisdom was age or what you were saying, but we're going to go no. with wisdom and not <laughs> say that you were calling me old. Not at all. But um, I am Tracy Bradley, and I am the DEI talent lead at Brunswick. And so what do I do? I, I do diversity. I believe in inclusivity, and I live an equitable life, meaning that it takes all kinds of people to make this thing called life work. And, you know, when you are have a spirit of inclusion and you bring people to the table and you assess skills and talents and everything so people can authentically represent themselves not only in work, but in their real lives. I I think a lot of people don't know how to authentically be themselves. And I try to provide the space and grace to allow people to do that. And then I try to just be balanced and equitable in how I do things, how I treat people, how I approach situations. And and so uh, a lot of people, that is their profession, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And for me, that's my lifestyle. So that's a little bit about me and who I am and what I do. I hear you. I mean, and I think, thank you for summarizing your uh, personality and your career in in a short uh, summary. Um, So let's get into this conversation. So Tracy, I consider you a diversity, equity, and inclusion unicorn. You've been uh, working in this space since before it was coined diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I think this is a broad question and I feel like this conversation is gonna go into a few different directions, but um, what would you say the DEI space needs right now from your perspective as a DEI leader? Oh, that's a a broad question. (laughs) I know. And and I say that because as as I look out over the landscape, it's almost, there are some needs that are gonna be totally out of a DEI professional's purview. Like there are gonna be some needs that we can't get ourselves that have to be given to us. So we have to take that into account. And then there's other things that we do have control over. So um, 
I think right now we need um, a little space and a little grace and quite a bit of just moral support. I think it, it's very tumultuous times. And when you do this work, we are inundated with so many external forces that we have to internalize and then still perform at the highest level possible. And I don't know, and I remember, and it, and it moved me to tears. And I remember after the shooting in Buffalo and a DEI consultant talked about it, but, and how could she possibly do her job when her grandmother was one of the people that was killed in Buffalo? Right. And she had to go to work and do her job and perform and pour into people about doing the right things and being inclusive when something struck that close to home. And when things like that happen, you know, check on your DEI professionals at your company because a lot of times we're not okay. Those things touch us very deeply and we still bring our A game all the time. So what we need are just um, some tangibles and intangibles. Like we, we need the resources, the, the funding, the budget, the, the people to really move the needle. But we also need those soft things of recognizing, hey, there's a lot going on. Are you okay? Is, is there anything we can help you do better? And, and I think when you put all that together, it, it, it strengthens us. It, it, it kind of recharges right. and refuels us to keep going to the next task, to the next level in advancing DEI in our organizations. That's really interesting. Um, and what do you feel like is the most important aspect of this space that other leaders need really need to know right now? Probably that we are all still on the journey. And even though we are in different phases of the journey, the journey is what is important not the destination so how we make things work as we grow as we evolve as we recognize we have to do things differently and move dei across the enterprise and you know so many companies stop at oh if we can hire more diverse talent we'll have a diverse workspace but it's not bringing the talent in, it is creating a safe environment for that talent once they arrive, as well as maintaining a safe environment for your employees there. We stop when we, most people, when they hear diversity, you still have people thinking about affirmative action, about words like quotas, words like, well, that means we can't hire white men or they, it, it's diversity brings out the negativity a lot of times. And it's so much more than that. Diversity, equity, and inclusion is so much bigger than race, ethnicity, and gender. It's lifestyle, it's socioeconomic background, it's education. Mm -hmm. It's everything we bring with us to work every single day. 
And how do we manage that and allow people to perform at their optimal level because we provide an environment that allows them to do so? Yeah, that's critical. And I think I really appreciate the fact that you mentioned um, the resources and the fact that leaders are really, I mean, I think a lot of people are holding the purse right now and they're trying to figure out how to um, how to distribute the wealth. And I think they're trying to figure out the perfect way to do it. Um, in your opinion, is there a perfect way to uh, tackle some of the challenges that we see in the DEI space? No. <laughs> in a nutshell, there's no perfect <laughs> way to do it. But is there an equitable way to do it? Yes. And so, again, we have to look across the entire enterprise. And a lot of times we focus on the talent part of it and bringing in people and making sure that we're doing these great hires. But let me give you an example. What do we do about benefits? What kind of benefits do we offer? What are we doing about the remote work environment where people have moved, want to move? You have multiple generations in the workforce right now. You have people who are taking care of aging parents and may have children still in grammar school. So they're kind of sandwiched in. They have different types of needs. How flexible are we with work from home, PTO, FMLA? What, what are we doing to allow people to work in the manner that allows them to get their job done and support their family? So those are the things we have to look at. And, and people don't associate that with diversity, equity, and inclusion. They don't think about that, but your benefits package, your time off package, how, how, how you set things up across the enterprise definitely plays a huge role in your DEI journey. How should companies that are really just forced to be more cost conscious, how should they think about attacking some of these problems? Is there, is there like a priority list or um, it, what do you think? Well, the priority is programs that impact everyone. And I, and I think what happens a lot of times is when you talk about diversity, people focus on the differences as opposed to the commonalities. So at the end of the day, if you have um, women-friendly benefits, that impacts the entire company. Because if you are married and you have women-focused benefits and your, wife and your spouse is female, she can take part of the benefits. So that's gonna help your family. If you are a female employee and there are women-focused benefits that, you know, there, you know, health equity, and there, there's so many other things that come into this, but we, we think about it from, you know, a very narrow point of view. And if we just broaden it out, we see just how much focusing on inclusivity and equity impacts the entire enterprise for the positive. So it's not looking at how do we impact a few people, but how do we maximize it to impact everyone positively. And those are just some of the ways when you look at 
as I said, time off policies, healthcare, mental health care. There, there's just a lot of things, remote work, flex work, allowing people to um, work part-time if need be, job sharing. So there are so many things that we look at that if you take a step back, if we're saying we want this to be a place where everyone feels we belong, those are some of the areas where you can do that and make that happen. And I have a question for you in terms of, I, I know that you have an amazing network um, and I know that you um, know a lot about professionals in the DEI space. Um, if you were to have a list, um, let's call it a, a Mount Rushmore of DEI leaders, um, who would be on that list? <laughs> That's, <laughs> that's a hard one because <laughs> you, you don't want to leave anyone out right but i i've had the opportunity to um, meet some great people and work with them um, seek counsel get advice be mentored and then i've seen people from afar that are up and coming and just doing some great things in the space um i know right now um a couple of people that I, I've worked with over the years that are just in different spaces. Um, I know I, I've worked with uh, Lori Aiken. She's the chief diversity officer for Sally May. And uh, she does some phenomenal work in not only the DEI space, but just the talent and HR space. And so she is one of those that is very forward thinking and does a lot of great stuff. I've worked with, um, who else have I worked with? I've worked with Parika Sampson. She's uh, over diversity at Gilead. And you know I knew her in her consulting days as well as her Morgan Stanley days. And <clears throat> excuse me, she is probably one of, the most gifted people in the DEI space that I, I have come across. Uh, Jillian Feliciano is up and coming and uh, she's, you know, started her career in different aspects, MetLife, she did uh, diversity and campus uh, talent at ConAgra and she went to Advocate. So she is a rising star in the DEI space space. Uh, Deetta Jones, she owns a boutique um, DEI consulting firm, and she pulls some of the best and brightest together to really help companies chart their course. Uh, then, you know, there, there are just some, you know, I've worked with people in the construction space, a uh, gentleman out of Texas, Simeon Terry, um, what he's doing in supplier diversity, is amazing. Um, and, and, and so I, you know, I have had the opportunity and the pleasure to really work in some good spaces in uh, Troy McIntosh, uh, US Cellular, and now he's at IDEX leading diversity, equity, and inclusion. And he's doing an amazing job of, you know, building out his team and taking you know, DEI to the next level at IDEX. And, and so there are so many people. And then you, 
you look across um, the landscape and there's Dr. Shirley um, Davis. And if you've never heard her speak, you've got to hear her. She's an amazing force. Uh, Tyrone Stoudemire at Hyatt, you know, he has in the hospitality industry, he is the go-to. He, he is the person that he has everyone's ear. So there are just so many people that are um, doing a great job. I know um, a gentleman, uh, Kevin, <clears throat> excuse me, Kevin Bradley, he is at, uh, we, we, it's a joke. So although we're not related, we have the same last name. So he'll <laughs> always send me notes on LinkedIn. And so some of these people I've only interacted with professionally or via LinkedIn or things like that but you're watching what they do in the space and you're watching their careers move in different directions. And Kevin is another person that, you know, you just really definitely want to work with and, you know, sit down and hear what he has to say and what's going on. And so I know Mount Rushmore only has four spaces, four faces, but <laughs> I have just had the pleasure of seeing and working with some amazing people over the years. And those are just a few names that are top of mind for me. That's amazing. I mean, I love the fact that you had those names ready to go because that really just proves that you really know this industry. Um, and I think there are a lot of people that are out there right now that are like, maybe like, dang, I want my name to be mentioned. And the thing is, your name may be mentioned at some point in another room I think it's important for us to have these conversations because um, there are a lot of incredible DEI leaders out there. And um, oh, amazing! Like I probably right. could still give you about five, <laughs> six more names, but right. <laughs> I'm sure people are like, "Okay, is she, is she just name dropping?" No, these are just some people that I have had a significant amount of interaction with. Now there are some people that I don't know as well that I could just drop their name for the sake of because of who they are and what they do and yeah. but we already know those people because they mm -hmm. they're doing the amazing work so like Doug at Kaleidoscope so you know again I I, I could drop <laughs> some more names but these are the people that have influenced me have helped guide me offered advice solicited and unsolicited that really are doing some great things across the DEI space in various industries. That's amazing. And so I hope one day to be on someone's Mount Rushmore. How about that? <laughs> exactly, because you're on mine. I'm like, hey, Tracy, Tracy Bradley. Because, um, you know, I think this is a good place to uh, pause for a moment because I think there might be some leaders out there that are like, okay, well, how do I develop myself as a leader? Um, you know, maybe I don't, know where to turn in terms of seeking out mentors in this space. If you were speaking to a person that had that question, um, what would you say to that person? I think a lot of, a lot of the relationships evolve. Um, I, I think social media has actually made it so much easier to connect and meet people right. and set time up to chat and conference calls and COVID has got has everyone in the practice of doing video chats and doing calls where at one point it was hey let's meet for a coffee hey let's meet for lunch 
we got out of that for two years. And so it actually allowed us to cast our net a little bit wider to say, hey, can we set some time up to talk? Now, I'll be honest, everyone is not receptive. Some people do not respond to you or they're, they're not. And that's okay because for every person that doesn't, you'll run it, you'll eventually start running into people that are definitely willing to make time and talk with you. They might not have an hour, it might not, you know, it might not be every week, but, you know, monthly check-ins, hey, how's it going? How are you doing? Um, Those help a lot. And then working, you know, joining organizations, working with groups, you, you start seeing the same people. I I know, um, IDIR, Inclusion, Diversity, um, Innovation Roundtable, you work with a lot of DEI leaders in various industries. And so those people become part of your network and you, you talk and you exchange ideas. And so, it's another way to just really branch off and whether whether you're you know relatively new to the space because some people come into the space from other areas of HR sometimes they say hey as a development we want you to spend some time in DEI and some people grow up in DEI where you know they may like that and that was my journey so I I did DEI work without DEI titles for a long time because that's where I knew I wanted to land. So I made sure I met as many people with DEI titles and sitting in the space as possible. And, you know, I used to volunteer with the um, Illinois Diversity Council and I would moderate panels and, you know, volunteer because you you got to meet so many people and attend workshops so that those are just some of the ways you can you know build your tool chest you know build your toolbox to um be able to offer a reciprocal relationship I, i think people um underestimate the value they bring in a mentoring when they're looking for a mentor what they bring to the table as a mentee and mentoring goes both ways and a successful relationship is when both parties give and receive Mm. and and i say just shoot shoot your shot it's like (laughs) someone someone is going to answer the question or you know there are chats there are forums and you just get in there and there's so much work to do and there's quite a few people doing it so there's going to be people you connect with and that's who you attach attach your wagon to. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, and you did mention one resource there, IDIR. Could you talk a little bit about that? So, yes. So what we do is twice a year, it, it's almost, I always like to call it, it's like a shark tank for us. <laughs> DEI um, vendors and professionals and consultants. I mean, that is how I met you all, right? So that that is how um, I got linked up with Matheson. So we uh, review 
and look at innovators in the DEI space, whether it's in benefits, uh, talent, sourcing, uh, belonging, you know, total rewards. There are just so many things out there that we get an opportunity to see on the front end and look at, you know, how's their funding? What are they planning to do? And you have an opportunity, you know, learning and development platforms, you know, um, data, data analysis platforms, and, and you get to meet CEOs of startups and be part of their journey in advancing DEI. And, and I, I think it's probably one of the most amazing groups of people that I've ever met in um, the DEI space on just getting things done. So I think it's great. That's awesome. So they meet twice a year and it's for vendors and uh, so basically, you can go and get a lot of the resources you need in order to make your processes or, or your company more inclusive, right? Exactly. And and also, so you're also working with um, other DEI leaders. So it, it, you have an opportunity to bounce ideas and what's working in your company and what's not working and what do you want to try? Well, this is what we've tried. And so you also kind of have a built-in a network of DEI buddies that you can bounce ideas off of. So it, it's also doing that type of work. It's very collaborative. And so while you're viewing, you know, we, we rate people, we view them and it's like, and then your company can decide, yes, we would like to have some further conversation to know more about who you are, company ABC and what you do. And so it goes from there and it's very organic and you don't have to do anything, but it just gives you an opportunity to see what's out there and how you can um, make something good a little bit better. That's amazing. Um, and, you know, Tracy, I know that you've seen good, great, best um, in your career. What do you think is the key to success in terms of DEI? I think DEI is definitely top driven. So I think when you have leaders, i.e. CEOs, C-suite, senior VPs, executives that are committed to a diverse, equitable, and inclusive workspace, I think it helps the entire enterprise. I think it, cha it helps change the culture um influencing without authority changing trying to change the culture from the bottom up one person with no support that that's gonna typically lead to frustrating and less successful efforts but when it is top driven and you have people that are saying hey we're doing pretty well here and there are some things we can do better I, I think that is also an honest approach. No one does everything completely wrong and they're doing bad. Sometimes it hasn't even been thought of because you don't have anyone sitting in the seat driving the strategy or the strategy hasn't even been created. So where you are, what you're doing well, say, okay, now how? Let, let's look at this. Let's put our a DEI lens on this. And so when we start doing that, 
is, you know, what does our population look like? What do our customers look like? Does our workforce mirror our customer base, whomever our customers are? So, right. you know, let's look at it that way. And then what can we do to offer more opportunity? Where, where are there areas of improvement? And, and, and I think we have to approach it in incremental progress from a stance of we're, we're doing pretty well. How can we do this better? So many people feel like they're being picked on or beat up and they're like, here we are talking about diversity again. And, and, and so it, it becomes more bothersome than perhaps it should be because, because I think there's just, you know, with any change management initiative, how the leadership supports it and how it's communicated out changes the outcome. That's amazing. Um, and why do you feel like people from underrepresented groups are still being marginalized, even when the work of DEI seems to be the most important work externally? I feel like that's a it's a big thing. I feel like a lot of companies are doing performative work. Um, but, but why do you feel like a lot of us are, are still being marginalized? Because a lot of companies are doing performative work. <laughs> you, <laughs> you literally... <laughs> <laughs> because performative work is easy and, and it feels good. And, you know, mm. let's, let's make sure we add Juneteenth as a holiday or you will add a floating holiday. And, and, and so people still haven't looked across the enterprise landscape. Again, a lot of people focus on bringing talent in, but do we look at turnover rate? Do we look at, so let's say 2020 and 2021, how many women left the workforce? Tons. We know COVID was a culprit. Was there a way to save some of those female employees? Probably. Were we willing to be more flexible? You know, what were we willing to do? So when you look at okay, our female population has just decreased by X amount of percent. Yes, we know COVID because of childcare, because of other, other things that happened that were out of our control. But what could the company control that did not have an adverse impact on the bottom line? That could have been flex, flex work. So you, you get what I'm saying? Right. So when until we look at the big picture, and how it impacts when we look at performance reviews, are they equitable? When we look at disciplinary action, is it equitable? If Robert, you miss three days of work and I miss three days of work, mm -hmm. I get written up, but you don't, there's some inequity there. Mm -hmm. And so if that is my first write-up and then something else, you see what I'm saying? So. We've right. got to look at, are we doing all of the things similar? It won't be the same because there are varying needs and varying, you know, varying departments. But overall, if we are consistent with how we operate, you start to find the discrepancies because, oh, this is an outlier. Where, where's this coming from? And you can start pinpointing the outliers. And then when you look at it, okay, 
it seems like we're doing this because all these outliers are women. All these outliers are African-American. Do you see what I'm saying? You start to notice a pattern and then you have to have the hard conversations and no one ever wants to have the hard conversations. And, (laughs) And until we can provide the psychological safety of, I can have this difficult conversation and not worry that I'm going to get fired tomorrow. I can have this difficult conversation and not worry about retaliation or she's a troublemaker. He's a complainer. They're um, only interested in, you know, stuff that benefits them directly again, because even how we use pronouns and and that's why Mm -hmm. I made sure I included, you know, they, because Mm -hmm. people, we have different pronouns and making that available to people. So again, you can authentically be yourself. It's the little things that, you know, a whole bunch of little things added together is one big thing. Right. And so that's positive and negative. Microaggression, they keep adding up. Now you got a big deal. But they started as little nitpicky things, My, micro, small. Right. But you you keep adding them up and now you're about, the place is about to just go because we've not stopped them. We've not addressed them when they were micro. Right. I feel like a lot of people don't necessarily feel empowered to express themselves, even if they are going through something at work. Um, And it's funny that you said that you talked about the, uh, the uncomfortable conversations. I think a lot of people should be having those conversations, but they they may not be in the right uh, place in terms of the chain of command, or um, it just, they feel like it's not really their space. Um, are there any examples of the uncomfortable conversations that, um, that you could give us in terms of like how we can navigate that challenge there, there are some companies that are doing, and I, and I wish, and I, I didn't write it down, but <clears throat> I attended uh, this past fall the virtual, the virtual version of the SWE Society of Women Engineers Conference, mm, and awesome. one of the sessions was on uncomfortable conversations and. Oh my gosh, it was amazing. Mm. And 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 I want to th- I want to say it's one of the auto companies in Detroit, but I could be wrong. But they literally it's part of their company culture. Like they have scheduled uncomfortable conversations and managers are trained on how to have them and leaders lead them and and and, and it's part of you must have these kinds of conversations. And, and so they've trained people, you know, you, you got to have a certain level of emotional intelligence. Your EQ has to go up to have these kind of conversations and sit in the discomfort. And, and, I, and I think that's the hardest part is sitting in the discomfort and owning your part of perhaps making people uncomfortable. And and so that whole self-awareness, but, and oh my gosh, I feel so bad that I can't think of the name of the organization, but they got it. And and they just call people on it. Like we've got to have these to grow. 
And that's going to start impacting the bottom line. I mean, we had the great resignation. And so people think, well, you know, now with the recession coming, you know, people are going to start coming. No, people are still going to do other things. They're not going to be in a bad work environment if there are other options. So if you're in a space where there are other options for your employees, your employees could still be at risk if you don't offer them the space to grow holistically. Yeah, I feel like a lot of that has to do with accountability. So you mentioned that. Um... Yes, there are people sitting in seats where they they need to be a little bit more accountable. Uh, that's in, that's so interesting. Um, and, and and as and and we need to ooh. be accountable for ourselves. All of us, mm. we have to. Sometimes you have to just say, "This is not comfortable for me." So acknowledge the discomfort. Acknowledge it. I'm not comfortable. However, I must share. I must speak up. And then do you have a solution? Because everybody is inundated with problems. So do you have a solution, a suggestion? What might we do to make this better? Right. And it sounds like it sounds like a couple of things. Like there's there has to be an opportunity for people to hold space. And then there has to be an opportunity for people to actually, well, those people, be it us or or anyone else, they have to be uh, receptive to the conversations. And then when it's your turn to talk, <laughs> you should probably go ahead and just let it out. Um, yeah. And I feel like that has a lot to do with grace as well. We have to be graceful with each other and just say, hey, you know, exactly. I, this, this might not come out perfectly. <laughs> right. But I just need the space and grace to be able to say it. And, and that's that psychological safety and that lessened fear of retaliation and or termination. Because people want to be authentic and live their truth. Right. And if that's not, if they're in fear of their livelihood every day, you're not getting the best performance out of them. Mm. So, so when it comes to this, this conversation, I mean, I think that there are so many directions we can take this conversation. Cause I, I love the fact that you really have a, you have so much depth in your responses and I love the fact that you're just like, actually, let me choose this one because it's, it's relevant. Um, but I know that you think a lot and I just have a question for you. What's at the top of mind for you, just in general? Ah, you know, at the top of mind for me is um, concern. I, I think that's the and exhaustion. I I, I think I'm concerned for us as people. (laughs) (laughs) I I think external forces, politically, economically, socially, is just so overwhelming right now that 
how do you keep going when you're tired and nothing's changed? How, how, how do you keep going when you watch the news and yet again, you know, you've got another mass shooting, schools, parades, right. and you balance that with another African, unarmed African-American man is gunned down and there's no rhyme or reason. And, and, and so how do you keep going? How do you make sure that that concern doesn't turn into paralyzing fear? And, and, and so that is top of mind for me as a DEI professional. How do we all stay motivated? How, how do we keep our colleagues motivated and engaged? And how do we even get more people engaged? Because everyone's not going to join you on the journey. And that's the first thing you have to accept. But how do we take the journey and still make it beneficial for everyone, whether they joined us or not. I think, you know, a lot of people, and, I, and I'm going old school and kind of segueing, but it's a comparison I want to make. A lot of people are anti-union, but I promise you the labor movement is why we have a 40-hour work week, why we have lunch breaks, why we um, are entitled to vacation days and sick time. That all came out of the labor movement. So you might be anti-union, but as employees and people who go to work every day, we benefited from that struggle. And so I consider DEI, we're all going to benefit, whether you're part of it or not, whether you're part of the struggle, whether you're part of the problem or the solution, when we get it right, when everyone can authentically show up in a workspace and be rewarded based on talent, not time, based on what they bring to the table, when that happens, everybody wins. That's amazing. And, you know, I think this this hour has really flown by, Tracy. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> It's crazy. Um, but for all of our leaders and potential DEI leaders listening to this, um, if there was one action they should take after listening to this episode, um, what would you urge them to do? <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> take a step back and take a deep breath. I really do. Any, all of us are kind of feeling the same crunch, the same angst, the same, you know, level of, you know, DEI is very much metrics and data driven. And I know a lot of people think it's all we do is celebrate, you know, this month or that heritage month, et cetera. No, there are a lot of numbers and a lot of data we analyze and metrics and it, it's overwhelming with a lot of the balls we juggle. So. I really would like, you know, DEI leaders to just kind of take a step back, take a deep breath and assess all that has been accomplished, especially in these last few years during an entire pandemic that we're still going through. So I, I think people need to, you know, we have 
a pandemic that no one knew what was going to happen. And then the world blew up with civil unrest. And then it's just been one thing after another. And, and so step back, take a deep breath, look over your landscape and celebrate all of your wins, the big ones, the small ones, the almost wins, like you almost got there and then get ready to go in and fight another day. don't think we could end it any better than that tracy bradley thank you so much for joining us this was awesome thank you for having me it has been a pleasure um honored as a matter of fact to even be asked so i can't thank you enough for letting little old me share a little (laughs) bit of stuff that hopefully someone gets something out of oh of course and thank you for dropping so many pearls um this was just a great conversation um Looking forward to, to, to having you on a part two at some point. We'll, we'll check in again. Yes, would love that. <laughs> would love that. Maybe I can bring a couple friends with me next time. Let's go. <laughs> Maybe I can bring some of my Mount Rushmore people with me. <laughs> Let's go. Love it. Well, Tracy, I hope you have a good rest of your day. Talk Thank soon. you. If you're looking for DEI assessments, benchmarking tools, sourcing support, training, and more, look no further. Go to www.matheson.io and book a call to speak with us. The link is in the description. We're looking forward to connecting with you next time.